Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 272, Turmeric, Liquid Gold or Fool's Gold. In today's episode, we will be talking about some solid research on the efficacy of turmeric in heart health, inflammation, pain, depression, antioxidant status, and so much more, while also discussing some of the controversy of turmeric in the world of oxalates and anti-nutrients. Yes, I think that this is a great topic, and as we discussed a couple episodes ago in our Q&A, or just last week, I suppose, when we were talking about fortitude and fluidity, one of the questions we got was, thoughts on high-slash-low oxalate diet on health outside of their relation to kidney stones. And then we also got a couple questions coming in because apparently uh, Paul Saladino had covered a podcast, I believe, or some form of an episode on turmeric and calling it fool's gold. So we thought it'd be a fun play to unpack some of the elements of anti-nutrients and you know, why someone maybe in the carnivore space would dig to say that turmeric doesn't work. What are the things to consider as far as mechanisms of action? And at the end of the day, we're looking at, you know, is this a Petri dish research study or is this a human health research study? And even taking it further, is this a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized clinical trial in human efficacy showing impact? Because at the end of the day, that's always going to have superiority over a potential mechanism or something that's been shown in a high-dose Uh, isolate in an animal study or again in a petri dish and showing something that wouldn't maybe even exist in the human body or just testing on a cellular level outside of the human body yes yes i think that's really important to break down that difference um before we really get into things for today's episode let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode fond bone broth yes So y'all know that we are huge fans of Fond, and I feel like with today's episode, we should give extra love to their liquid gold flavor, uh, which is their turmeric and black pepper infused bone broth. So y'all know that bone broth is a fantastic food as medicine tool because it aids with supporting gut integrity. When you consume bone broth, you're getting that L-glutamine, which is an, an amino acid that actually fuels your enterocytes or gut cells. We also get collagen and gelatin, which deliver that oopy goopy mucilage to aid in gut restoration and protection, also fueling connective tissue like bone, joints, tendons. And we even get some seasonal support with N-acetylcysteine in bone broth and the liquid gold flavor made with chicken bone broth that is higher in the chicken bone broth, that knack, and that knack can actually aid in white blood cell response, as well as a uh, supporter for mucus and phlegm buildup as an expectorant, so aiding with a cough or buildup of debris in the ears, nose, and throat. And then their liquid gold, like I said, adding that turmeric and that black pepper is a great way to add that anti-inflammatory support while boosting antioxidant capacity. So after you learn about all of the elements that 
turmeric provides as liquid gold. Hey, and I just realized that our episode is named and it's the same flavor. I just had that moment. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to grab yourself a couple bottles and uh, when you're over there, grab some jars of other awesome flavors like their youth tonic and um, I love their radish and lemon and garlic blend. Uh, they have the conductor, which is the butternut squash chipotle and rosemary. So much fun to sip in a jar. It's truly an elixir that supports your body with food as medicine and is enjoyable to sip. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD. And when you use AllieMillerRD at checkout, you will save 15% on your order. All right, so before we get into the specifics of turmeric, let's just set the stage a little bit and talk about what exactly inflammation is and why it matters in the body. Yes. So, you know, we often use terms like inflammation, antioxidant, etc., and it's it's good to take a pause and like recalibrate and make sure what is this we're talking about? And when we're thinking in the world of inflammation, we have to acknowledge that this is a vital part of our immune system's response to injury and infection. So, it's the body's way of literally signaling our immune system to heal and repair damaged tissue as well as defend itself against foreign invaders such as viruses and bacteria. And inflammation is an essential role in whole body health. Uh, When we see unmanaged chronic inflammation is where we can start to see that driving quote unquote silent or not so silent killer in the body because we know that chronic unmanaged inflammation plays a root cause in a myriad of conditions. It is the driver of pain. It is a driver of swelling, reduced function or mobility. We see a huge role in mental illness, including both depression and anxiety, as well as cognitive decline. And when an individual is in an inflammatory state, they deal with more complications in the whole cardiometabolic world. So that brings in heart health conditions as well as diabetes. And we can see weight loss stall also in the state of chronic inflammation where the body basically is protecting itself from future injury and not able to liberate or go through that catabolic process of weight loss. Okay, and let's talk about maybe some of the labs to actually monitor inflammation, um, just simple blood test values that you could you know, ask for at your yearly checkup. Yeah, we always recommend at least an annual, if not semi-annual assessment of a high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And ideally we want to see this less than 0.8. And this would be concerning if it goes above 1.5. I do always note that the high sensitivity C-reactive protein is high sensitive. So you do want to be mindful of not getting one run after an intensive, like if you do a really heavy lifting day at the gym and you test it the following day because inflammation is a process Mm -hmm. of muscle recovery, you might see that elevated and maybe not representative of your true basic inflammatory state. Same with like a deep tissue massage. So just be mindful that if you run your HSCRP, you'd want to do that after a more gentle day um, and also um, ensure that this isn't a time during an acute injury because that could be elevated based on that injury itself. But it's also, to be fair, a way to monitor injury. And so in the world of, uh, you know, various forms of autoimmune conditions and inflammatory states, 
like rheumatoid arthritis or if we're looking at Crohn's ulcerative colitis, we're looking at C-reactive protein as well as SED rate um, or erythrocyte sedimentation rate, ESR. And a SED rate, we generally want to see this in the teens, ideally less than 20. And once this goes above 25, this becomes a concern of a state of chronic inflammation. Got it. Um, and that's a lab often monitored in autoimmune disease along with like an ANA, for example. But I don't think it's something that would conventionally be on your lab work. So you'd have to ask for both of those. Yes. Um, let's talk about some of the popular anti-inflammatory drugs and why these can be problematic, especially some of the over-the-counters. Yeah, it's so interesting how many Americans um, and how many billions of dollars are spent on the over-the-counter NSAID family of drugs and how many people don't even consider that as something that they're like, quote unquote, taking or right. doing. Like they're just like popping that bottle of ibuprofen or Advil or Aleve. Uh, as we've talked about in digestive episodes, these drugs are very concerning because they can drive gastric bleeding. Um, the Mayo Clinic actually noted that there is an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke with use of NSAID drugs. And so when we're looking at pain management, we want to always think of that less do no harm approach. And so if there are natural compounds like omega-3 fatty acids, and as we'll learn, you know, of course, with the EPA, DHA in there, those are the active, the EPA, the most dominant form of that omega-3 that's anti-inflammatory. And as we'll learn today, uh, turmeric, especially the curcuminoids in turmeric, it would make great sense to use natural compounds that don't drive literally internal bleeding and also that don't drive additional risk for heart disease and stroke, but actually could prevent even taking it a step further. So when we look at, you know, part of why I'm so swoon on turmeric and the super turmeric in our line, it's that we can actually see reduction of inflammation in the, in the gut. So we include that in our gut rehab bundle. We actually see it as a therapeutic tool in colitis and inflammatory bowel disease. And then in the world of cardiovascular disease, we can actually see reduction of that beta amyloid plaque formation and antiplatelet coagulation or some natural blood thinning and blood clot reducing effects from a quality curcuminoid product. Yes, and as we start to talk about some of the um, efficacy and, and benefits and risks of turmeric, um, it's worth noting there's just so much research and there's a lot of longevity of use in medicine as well. Yeah, it's always important to note, as we've done so in the world of like hormones and HRT or hormone replacement therapy, that when we're looking at clinical literature, we have to always look at the funding, but often the funding is very convoluted. And when we're looking at the pharmaceutical industry, anything that they can't patent, which is something that is completely naturally made, is often going to be attempted to be smeared. Uh, and that is a pure monetization thing that needs to be, I think, addressed more openly. Uh, with that being said, lucky for us, curcuminoids and turmeric have been studied for so many decades. In fact, back in 1937, um, we saw that curcumin showed benefit against human disease with cholecystitis, so looking at bile duct inflammation in the body, and it showed inability, inability to inhibit the growth of staphylococcus, salmonella, and tuberculosis back in 1949. So we were looking at these bacterial and um, infection states that were driving death and seeing this natural compound having 
clearly demonstrated clinical efficacy. Uh, we've seen for many decades now, over seven decades, I suppose, um, human studies that suggest that curcumin is generally safe even at high doses. And we've seen curcumin safe at doses up to 10 to 12 grams per day over periods of three plus months. However, we have not seen turmeric doses of those levels to be safe when we're talking about kidney stone. And that's where the data gets a little bit convoluted. So you have to pay attention to the distinguishable variables of turmeric and curcuminoids when you are deciphering the research. Okay. Can't wait to unpack that. Um, let's first just hit real quick, what exactly are anti-nutrients and why is it important that we talk about them? Yeah. So anti-nutrients, uh, I believe that, you know, we've known before the term anti-nutrients because of human survival as omnivores <laughs> that anti-nutrients exist. And when we look at traditional methods of cooking, we've been sprouting, soaking, fermenting, um, adding uh, lime, for instance, to masa, corn, right? There's been so many different ancestral connections of traditional ways to prepare foods that have anti-nutrients to mitigate their anti-nutrient effect and ensure that the consumer still gets nutrition out of that food and that those anti-nutrients don't truly inhibit absorption of nutrients from other source to an extreme level because humans have survived by eating them. Um, and so when we look at anti-nutrients, um, there are various forms and we're basically looking at different structures that can inhibit nutrient absorption. Uh, these are phytates, tannins, uh, protease inhibitors, calcium oxalate, and lectins. These are the kind of main breakdowns of what are anti-nutrients. Back in episode 127, In Defense of Vegetables, Becky and I really unpacked. Uh, and what was, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Becky, but what was that gentleman's name that wrote the book, The Plant Paradox? Do you Dr. Remember? Gundry. Dr. Gundry. Stephen, so, is it? Stephen yep, Gundry. Stephen Gundry. And he's a cardiologist, I believe, yep. uh, by trade. And so we talked about his book, um, The Plant Paradox, and also about you know the keto carnivore space and the pros and cons of vegetable consumption and what intolerance of vegetables tells us about the body. And generally speaking, when we see an intolerance of vegetables, we think of the individual having a dysbiotic state, which we have seen in clinical literature. So often they need to do that beat the bloat cleanse to really reset the microbiome so that the probacteria can aid in the breakdown of the plant matter and also aid in the absorption of the nutrition and manufacturing of nutrients because probacteria actually make nutrients in the gut as well. And then also it could indicate uh, gut integrity issues as far as leaky gut. And this is where we start to see, okay, maybe it's worth resting the gut from these anti-nutrients or veg or maybe more pro-inflammatory structures. Uh, but we also need to consider the why behind the intolerance. Totally. So it's not like the vegetable's fault, right? It's that something is going on in the body and we want to remedy that regardless of whether we're going to consume that food again or, or not because we don't want leaky gut and we don't want dysbiosis, right? Absolutely. So whether we're doing that gut cleanse or taking our digestate enzyme, which has the compounds to break down the uh, carbs, proteins, and fats, but also ensure optimal acidity, um, optimal digestive environment to break food particles down, that can often help to support 
And on the other end of the spectrum, this is also why Becky and I have our first episode together on being a recovering vegan, I think way back in episode 42, because we do know that over time and if relying solely on vegetables, the anti-nutrients will interfere with optimal human nutrition. Totally. So, you know, we do openly acknowledge that the most nutrient density comes in organs, comes in animal-based products, and the animals doing the work of digesting the plant matter and then us eating the more bioavailable form is often going to be the least stressful, especially with autoimmune disease or gut drama, um, and also the most nutrient dense. But there's a whole lot of awesome science on phytocompounds, antioxidants, and unique plant-bearing compounds that have shown clinical evidence to have health-supporting outcomes in humans. And that's what I think we have to also equally acknowledge when we get myopic of oxalate bad you know totally that must mean don't touch turmeric it definitely is not as simple to slice it and dice it that way yes and and really the you know poison is in the dose I think is is really important and I think that's what we see in a lot of these studies as well yes so I did pull and we'll link in our show notes um, some studies on anti-nutrients and the actual validity of them or how they've actually influenced in human studies which I think is again also important to note um, so when we break down lectins a lot of the characteristics of lectins proposed by many researchers um, were done in a lab-based or dense environment isolated from their whole plant matter and in like rat feeding studies um, in fact we've seen that lectins from legumes actually in the world of lentils chickpeas and peas all have favorable anti-proliferative activity against cancer cell lines and um, there's promising literature on how these could be health supporting as well as we see good impact from legume consumption in cardiovascular research um, regulating LDL particle size and total LDL concentration which again does work like a bell curve but when we're looking at the particle size we do want the lower the better there so that's something to note um, and we do know that in this world of legumes in particular, that they are an excellent source of prebiotic fiber, again, feeding the microbiome if imbalanced, um, if in a balanced state, just to clarify how I worded that. Um, they provide vitamins, minerals. Uh, we think of manganese in the world of lentils as a huge powerhouse and then anti-inflammatory compounds. And we've seen in studies that diets rich in legumes are actually associated with reduced inflammatory biomarkers in both animal and human trials. Um, so we do see some favorable influence as much as there could be that demonization on that structure mm -hmm. element. Totally. Okay. So that's lectins. Um, what are oxalates? What's all the buzz here? Yeah. So oxalates are another anti-nutrient that when those are high, there is a greater chance that calcium can bind to oxalate and this can drive kidney stone formation. Um, so because oxalates can bind to calcium, they can prevent your body from absorbing beneficial nutrients in your digestive tract. There's just competitive inhibition. There basically isn't room because these are large molecules. But we do know that when we cook oxalate-rich foods um, and we do consume ad adequate sources of calcium and potassium in the diet, that this minimizes the soluble oxalate and that that would reduce um, the negative or potential harmful effect. We do see that oxalate-containing foods possess a, a, an array of protective beneficial compounds, which very well, in again, human clinical trials, outweigh possible negative effects of oxalate. Okay, got it. 
Um, so tell me more about some of these studies on oxalates. I see another one here on yeah. uh, specifically turmeric and yes. cinnamon. So let's talk yes. about that study. So this study came out in 2008, and this is the one I think that is used to position uh, turmeric bad kind of okay. concept. <laughs> so this came out in 2008, and it was a randomized controlled trial. Um, they had healthy subjects that used a 2.8 gram dosage of turmeric, um, but note this was Puritan's Pride formula, and the 2.8 dosage uh, gram dosage of turmeric only had two to five percent concentration of curcuminoids. Um, this is remarkably lower than a quality curcuminoid slash turmeric supplement out there. Um, it's like basically if you're taking a um, fish oil, but it has other additives like soybean oil, whatnot, and then you look at the gram of EPA, DHA, and it's insignificant. Mm -hmm. um, and so this high concentration of turmeric um, was not extracted to concentrate curcuminoids. And for instance, again, that was at 2 to 5% concentration. And for instance, our super turmeric is at 95% percent concentration. That's a big difference. Yes. Um, and so turmeric ingestion actually in the whole root form and in that concentrate supplement that's not purified for curcuminoids, it did in that study lead to a significantly higher urinary oxalate excretion um, during the oxalate load tests. And there was no evidence of kidney stone formation, but the study concluded that that level of urinary oxalate output could contribute to kidney stone formation. And therein lay the quote-unquote bad study on turmeric again, but this is turmeric in a capsule, not mm -hmm. a concentrated curcuminoid, and we still didn't see actual impact of kidney stone formation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. So not a lot there if you actually <laughs> unpack the study in terms of demonizing turmeric at all. Right, right. I mean, the concentration, again, of curcuminoids in the formula is really significant because when we're looking at from 2 to 5% to 95%, we could really call our formula super curcuminoid instead of super turmeric mm -hmm. per se because it's not using turmeric as a raw product and we'll get into what's unique about our formula but basically there would be false allegations to note that a curcuminoid uh, formula would promote kidney stones or gallstones because the oxalates that have potentially driven that in turmeric are virtually absent in concentrations of curcuminoids. And curcumin has actually been shown to prevent gallstone and kidney stone formation in rodents. That was not a human study, but still seeing stone reduction um, by promoting the contraction of the gallbladder and going back to the mm -hmm. 1930s when the first published right. study of turmeric was featured and it was an extraction, like old school herbal medicine, you know, um, it was likely concentrated curcuminoids and they showed that cholecystasis. So they were looking at that again, and concentration uh, or excuse me, contraction of the gallbladder, moving that sludge, if you will, and actually treating the disease. So um, we do know that curcuminoids actually are likely to prevent the stone formation, uh, and it's truly that concentrated turmeric which showed higher oxalate output. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of fluff or just haters out there, you know, whether fighting for more of an anti-plant 
stance or, you know, a pharmaceutical platform that is looking to prevent outcomes of this wonder food so they can sell more drugs, right? Because they can't, again, patent curcumin or or turmeric because it's naturally occurring. Um, Let's just shine the spotlight on turmeric a little bit and um, specifically curcumin and its effects in the human body. Yeah. So like I said, turmeric dates back centuries ago um, and it was used in ancient Ayurvedic healing and it has been shown clinically in hundreds I believe now at this point of thousands of research studies out there that have clinically shown a therapeutic effect on various disease states from digestive disorders of IBS and even dysbiosis because there's antimicrobial effects of curcuminoids as a potent pain manager in the world of diabetes and blood sugar regulation, heart disease, depression and anxiety, arthritis, and even cancer. And when we break down the four primary mechanisms of curcumin, we know that it is anti-inflammatory. And so in its anti-inflammatory state, it is inhibiting inflammatory cytokines, excuse me. Um, It can inhibit COX-2 pathways and PGE2. It is neuroprotective, so it actually increases BDNF, or that brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Um, We see it as a mitochondrial protector. We have neurochemical effects where we've seen an increase of serotonin as well as dopamine and norepinephrine while supporting cortisol modulation. And we know curcumin has a potent antioxidant influence where it can actually regulate nitric oxide levels and reduce oxidative damage. Okay, and and so that's just four of the areas or or mechanisms, Mm -hmm. um, and likely there's even more um, yet to unpack. But let's dig into the research studies um, that actually demonstrate these amazing outcomes, and and, we see it further supported when its extraction is concentrated and enhanced. Yes, so there is a really good study that we'll link in the uh, show notes called Turmeric, Its Effect on Human Health. And again, important to note, human health. And this is just a really good research review that pulls in a lot of double-blind randomized clinical trials. And so uh, one thing to break down as an antioxidant is that there is evidence that Curcumin actually increases the serum activities of antioxidants such as superoxide dismutase. Uh, And so when we look at the data of a review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled data, um, we do see efficacy of supplementation with purified curcuminoids on oxidative stress parameters. And we see an indication of a significant effect of curcuminoid supplementation on all investigated parameters of oxidative stress, including plasma activities of superoxide dismutase and catalase, as well as serum concentrations of glutathione peroxidase and uh, reduction of lipid peroxidases. So when we're looking at, again, that deep dive of the cardiometabolic health world, and we're looking at actual inflammation, which drives the plaque formation, reducing that lipid peroxidase, uh, peroxidase is a really compelling factor. And again, comparing that other over-the-counter pain management drugs through the Mayo Clinic are said to increase cardiovascular disease risk. Right. So pretty, mm-hmm. Which would you choose? <laughs> right. Pretty, pretty compelling there. And, and so in the antioxidant world, you know, you can connect antioxidant to immune and, you know, so many other processes, of course, as well as inflammation. 
Sure. Um, let's talk more specific about some of the other anti-inflammatory mechanisms and, and you know, actual biochemical influence here. So you mentioned COX-2. Yeah, so it's a powerful COX-2 and actually a mild COX-1 inhibitor. And so this is what allows it to really compete at a similar playing field or level of primary pain managing medications. Uh, curcumin has been shown to inhibit mediators of the inflammatory response, including, like I said, cytokines, chemokines, adhesion molecules, growth factors, um, cyclooxygenase is the COX um, pathway, and so those are enzyme pathways, and lipooxygenase or LOX pathways, as well as um, inducible nitric oxide synthase, or INOS. And all of these chemicals will add up collectively to drive disease process, as well as the expression of pain. So remember, we've talked about inflammation before, kind of like a dam, when we think of like the MRT test and reducing the lighter fluid of what's driving the release of these inflammatory mediators. Well, curcumin has been shown to actually aid in modulation and reduction of excess of these compounds. And so there's this really dense multifactorial approach that we see with a bioavailable source of curcumin. Okay. And then we actually see this um, in terms of efficacy in reducing inflammation and pain perception. Yeah, there's a study called Efficacy of Turmeric Extracts in Curcumin for Alleviating the Symptoms of Joint Arthritis, and this is a um, randomized clinical trial review and meta-analysis, and curcumin has been proven to actually be a stronger anti-inflammatory than both ibuprofen and aspirin. Again, can't say it enough without the harmful side mm -hmm. effects. And so there were eight randomized controlled trials using curcumin as the intervention for pain management with osteoarthritis. And they used one gram a day of curcumin, not of turmeric. Again, we'll keep saying that over and over again. And so when we talk our formula versus others, we have to keep thinking about that, how much curcumin is in the formula, not the turmeric. Um, but one gram a day of curcumin. And they saw that this had similar effects to the NSAID without the side effects to gut or cardiovascular risk. And um, that turmeric actually was able to, in some individuals, alleviate digestive discomfort or pain and improve cardiovascular health markers. So not just the neutral, taking it kind of next level, which is pretty empowering. Right. And, and for all those reasons, you know, we could use it as our daily anti-inflammatory. It would be safe for daily use versus, you know, again, I think some people don't think twice about like popping open the Advil bottle first thing in the morning or, you know, taking Tylenol PM to sleep at night. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I've talked recently about my use of super turmeric with endometriosis mm -hmm. and how I'd kind of reduced frequency of use because I was doing more inflammazyme. Uh, but recently I've gone back to at least one a day of the super turmeric and I usually will take that in the evening. And I will say like, I get out of bed just feeling younger is that not, okay? as, I mean, you not know, as creaky yeah I mean hmm. younger I mean you know just less achy and in, in even my macro muscles mm -hmm. and my tendons and everything and so right it's a beautiful thing to consider the ability to take an anti-inflammatory that is safe effective and actually beneficial for your body versus you know having potential the dependency and side effects sure um, and then there's some promising research in the world of rheumatoid arthritis as well. Let's talk about that. Yes, there was an eight-month randomized control trial where they took 50 subjects diagnosed with osteoarthritis, and they either were in the standard treatment as prescribed by their physician or standard treatment plus 
two 500 milligram tablets with a curcuminoid mixture. Now the mixture was only at 20%, so definitely they were getting less than a gram of that curcuminoid, as we've emphasized is kind of the, the sweet spot there. But even with that lower dose, they saw that the group saw significant decreases in all markers of inflammation, um, including interleukins and um, solu soluble vascular cell adhesion molecule went down, as well as sed rate. And the control group, which did not have that added in, did not see those biomarkers influence and had less perceived uh, pain reduction as well as stiffness scores and mobility. Okay, that's pretty significant, I would say. Um, and then what about the world of metabolic health and um, specifically diabetes with turmeric? Yes, so we did talk about the antioxidant capacity reducing that oxidative stress and the lipid peroxidase, which is, I think, a huge element there. But we've seen in the world of diabetes that also the oxidative stress and free radicals, if you will, uh, can drive a big role on insulin resistance. And so we can see that curcumin as an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory actually has glucose lowering benefits by supporting insulin sensitivity and also likely some of just the blood inflammatory factors favorably influence blood sugar response because the body perceives less stress response and doesn't have as dynamic or refractory of a blood sugar impact. There was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial where they looked at individuals with metabolic syndrome and they received either one gram of curcumin with piperine, which is black pepper extract, um, in compared to a placebo with just the 10 milligrams of pepperine or that black pepper extract for eight weeks. And they saw in these individuals that there was significant greater reductions in the serum concentrations of tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6, a lot of inflammatory chemicals, and won't name them all, um, in the curcumin versus the placebo. They also saw that there was um, improved outcomes and less pain. And then they even saw in the curcumin population changes in serum lipids and glucose levels, as well as baseline serum concentrations of cytokines. And so this really suggests that the curcumin supplementation would significantly decrease serum concentrations of these pro-inflammatory cytokines that drive or perpetuate metabolic syndrome and likely reduce the outcomes of both heart disease and diabetes. Super cool. Um, what about studies highlighting some of the cardiovascular and um, even Alzheimer's disease prevention. Yeah, so that's looking at this beta amyloid plaque. Mm -hmm. So there's a study called Curcumin Inhibits Formation of Amyloid Beta Oligomers and Fibrils Binds Plaques and Reduces Amyloid in Vivo. Um, and so this study actually looked at how curcumin can directly bind to small beta amyloid species to block aggregation and uh, fibril formation in in vitro and in vivo. And the data showed that the low dose or moderate dose curcumin actually effectively disaggregates um, the buildup of plaque formation. So basically it has the ability to break down plaque formation and prevent plaque formation, which is what drives that sticky tar element in the brain, which would exacerbate Alzheimer's disease and also what would clog arteries in the world of cardiovascular disease. So that's pretty significant, not just preventing it from forming, but actually breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. Really wild. Um, and then detox is another area where we often focus on 
curcumin as a supporter of the phase two detox. So let's talk about that. Yep. So we do see some influence on both phase one and phase two, but it's a more dominant form of phase two, which remember is that encapsulation and excretion process. So that's where we're really emphasizing the support to ensure that we're not upregulating phase one activation of toxins and seeing more free radical damage. So curcumin actually enhances that phase two detox enzyme pathway, which is that um, encapsulation and excretion and showing favorability to that phase two pathway. We also see that curcumin protects against liver injury. In fact, there's been a lot of studies done with alcoholics and um, liver cell damage and curcuminoids being very therapeutic. Um, we also see broad spectrum liver support aiding in functional enzymes like ALT, AST levels going down and overall function improving. And the proposed mechanism is that basically curcumin aids in shielding the liver from damage from toxic substances, be it heavy metals or alcohol or another environmental toxin. And turmeric itself bolsters or, or enhances our stores and production of glutathione Glutathione being, again, that major grandmama antioxidant that helps to protect us from free radical damage. So when we're looking at this concept again, and this is kind of where when I was chatting with uh, Paul Saladino on the podcast, mm -hmm. we had him on as a guest. I, I wasn't able to like connect that concept with him um, and uh you know, it is what it is. But we were talking about, uh, you know, broccoli sprouts and turmeric in this sense. And I said, you know, regardless of what we see in a Petri dish, again, as an anti-nutrient or what we see as a potential influencer of a stress to the body, we have to look at the end outcome of if something is making the body, maybe it's hormetic. Maybe it's right. the fact that the mechanism of the curcuminoids actually stresses the body to enhance and upregulate detoxification, to enhance antioxidant capacity and production. But anything at the end of the day that is enhancing glutathione stores and productivity and reduces across the board inflammatory markers, beta amyloid plaque formation, inflammatory process driving pain, um, antioxidant depletion, you know, anything that is going to work favorably in all of these various mechanisms is going to be something that I'm going to want to put in my body. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about antimicrobial and immune support? That's another big area of focus for turmeric. Yes. So I mentioned that it, you know, in the back in the day, back in the day, I'm, I'm outside of whatever that year was that I referenced. So I think it was 1939 was the closest day, mm -hmm. uh, the, the gallbladder element of focus. And then we saw with um, bacterial um, issues as well as tuberculosis, the influence of turmeric being very favorable from salmonella and so forth. And so we have seen chronic infections um, being treated with curcuminoid concentration. And it's a beautiful combination because remember when there's infection from something like virus or pathogen, there is often going to be a cytokine storm or an excessive inflammatory response because the immune system uses inflammation to fight. But we've seen that curcuminoids actually has within their own capacity antimicrobial properties and also in that process aid if the individual had an inadequate antioxidant level, that it's actually gonna boost their antioxidant protection so that they're able to combat the infection with better outcomes. Sure, um, and, and we've even used turmeric topically, um, like turmeric 
mixed with honey or coconut oil, like as the, you know, paste on a wound can be a really Absolutely. good kind of salve. And there is studies of, yep. of it being used in wound dressings and such. And and so the whole immune support world is, is both of regulating inflammatory process so it doesn't go haywire with maintaining optimal antioxidant status and then having that antimicrobial support. And there's just a wealth of scientific research that supports curcumin in the immune system process, as well as its ability to aid in the body's defense against tumor growth. Mm -hmm. So not just bacteria pathogen, um, the world of viral tumor, it's able to enhance that immune surveillance mechanism. In fact, MD Anderson Cancer Center said in 2013 that curcumin has exhibited activities against numerous cancer types in human clinical trials. And curcumin is a promising molecule for the prevention and treatment of cancer, which is quite compelling because they're actually very conservative over right, there. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I do say that if you are someone that's currently on chemotherapy, because of uh, curcuminoids' efficacy on liver enzyme toxicity and um, detoxification, you would want to coordinate with your care team during active treatment mm -hmm. because it could impact the metabolism of chemotherapy drug. That's the only thing that I would say as something to be mindful or aware of, but but that's true of anything that hits that cytochrome P450 sure. enzyme yep. pathway. Yeah, so in theory, you might like pulse it in between yes. treatment and then pull off a few days before, but again, you'd want to coordinate with your team. Absolutely. Um, We've covered, I think, all of the antioxidant stuff pretty yeah. heavy, but anything else um, that jumps out to you in that research? I mean, we've seen favorable outcomes with obesity, probably again, because when the body is in a pro-inflammatory state, it, regardless of caloric restriction, doesn't have favorable metabolic function and isn't able to get into that catabolism. So if we're able to aid in insulin sensitivity and reduce inflammation, support mood management, we're not dealing with depression and anxiety, there's probably less triggers to overeat, but also at a calorie deficit, we see more successful weight loss with the use of curcumin. And then um, there's a lot of literature also that I pulled that'll be in the show notes on PMS, as well as uh, adenomyosis and severe menstrual cramps, um, endometriosis. And we kind of covered a lot of that in that episode. Mm -hmm. So we can I'll link, link that, episode, yeah. that episode as well. All right. Will do. Let's talk um, food as medicine and yes. <laughs> maybe some of our favorite ways to use turmeric. Um, although I think it's worth noting, like I have clients that will ask me like, Oh, I'm on a lot of supplements. How much turmeric would I have to eat to replace like the two capsules of super turmeric that I'm taking? And I think that's an important note. It's like, that's not really possible. No. And, and at that point, again, of getting an actual effective, because turmeric concentration of curcuminoids in, in generalized, if you were to, you know, um, blend up turmeric root and dehydrate it and dry it and take that in a capsule form, which is basically how you're taking it in a powdered form cooking, like an mm -hmm. organic turmeric yep. slice or from the root itself, right? You're only getting that two to 5% of curcuminoids. So to achieve one gram of curcuminoids, you would have to take quite a hefty amount of raw turmeric that would really be at that point likely a stressful oxalate to your sure. body. And that's yeah, the yeah. whole point of, of a lot this of sense. component. So when we are using it in more of a food as medicine support, it is more of a passive therapeutic. And to get clinical efficacy, it really would be suggested that you're using it in the curcuminoid concentrate form. Um, but 
either way, when we're incorporating turmeric in the diet, we're generally thinking of staying within like one to two teaspoons. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're staying, you know, in in a safe space as far as oxalates while still getting some anti-inflammatory effect. I think that, you know, curry or masala are kind of the, the main thought of inclusions of turmeric. Um, I also think of turmeric being used in a lot of mustards uh, because of that potent color. And we use that for that reason anytime that we're using a natural yellow food dye in our household. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like our, our Christmas cookie cutout. Cookies. cutout. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're always using just a dried turmeric um, mixed in with our frosting or our, our base if we wanted a bright yellow. Um, and this can also be incorporated into, when we're thinking of curry, I think of flavors like also ginger and garlic and maybe some Thai chilies or some form of a spicy pepper. And um, we're thinking of coconut milk, full-fat coconut milk as a base or bone broth with coconut milk. Um, I love doing various forms of curried soups and such and stews as a really delicious thing. I like to add turmeric to all of my bone broth yeah, to just yeah, give yeah. it more of that robust golden hue. Um, and a lot of stir fries work really beautifully. You know, again, that same kind of Asian um, or Indian flavor profile tend to sing really well with using either grated fresh turmeric root uh, or using the dried organic turmeric powder and they can even be incorporated into our smoothies and such in fact we did that in our was it our mango keto green smoothie or was it the I think it's actually we used turmeric in our um, adrenal adrenal rehab rehab elixir yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. it's in there for for sure And then I even like to, just for cauliflower, be that it's white, I'll always incorporate uh, turmeric on my roasted cauliflower Mm -hmm. just to give it that nice, again, golden hue. Uh, And, and, you know, just a little bit of a sprinkle can go a far way. And when you're looking to optimize the bioavailability of those only 2 to 5% curcuminoids in the turmeric root, adding black pepper will enhance the bioavailability or absorption. And that's where we talked about that one study uh, that used that black pepper compound. You might see biopurine used in formulas and um, that will enhance the efficacy. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to the concentration of the curcuminoids to see an influence in human health. Yeah, I've had people ask me like, why don't you have black pepper in your super turmeric formula? And it's, it's just that it's not as effective in terms of enhancing the bioavailability and um we can see it as a gastric irritant especially for like the ibd populations that's one to watch like if you are i just pulled somebody off of um a turmeric black pepper formula the other day who noticed turmeric or, or noticed that black pepper as a food tend to irritate them and i was like hey go get your bottle of turmeric let's just like take a look at this and see why it might not be working for you. And sure enough, there was black pepper in it. So I think that's an important thing to watch out for too if you do have inflammatory bowel disease. Yes. And I will note, labels can be tricky because, you know, when we're thinking of the word curcuminoids, often you'll see turmeric on a product noted as curcuma longa. Um, and that's just the name, the, the mm-hmm. plant name for turmeric. But curcuma longa is still turmeric, the whole root intact, not curcuminoids. Uh, which is, again, the concentrate of the antioxidant. Yep, I think that's a really good point, too. So on to supplementation. Um, Let's talk about effective dose, what form we're looking for, what we want the label to say, um, and maybe any other considerations for bioavailability. Yes. So as always, you want to look for any supplement that you're taking on a regular basis or even as needed 
that it is going to be pharmaceutical grade and third-party tested for potency and purity. This ensures that you are not going to be getting toxic metals or mold or contaminants in something that you're taking to supplement and support optimal health. So that's always like a first line rule and that's something that of course everything in the Naturally Nourished line uh, abides by and beyond. Uh, then you want to look at for turmeric specifically its form. Is it bioavailable? Is it in an absorbable form? And does this formula give us the concentration of curcuminoids in the formula? And when we look at super turmeric, we provide curcuminoids in three various forms. And then we blend that in turmeric oil to further aid in optimal outcomes, which then extends, you know, the vascular brain detox and immune function component. We actually went and did a randomized study in humans using our super turmeric and comparing it to the two more well-known brands out there, or not brands, excuse me, patented formulations. Mm-hmm. Um, so Longvita and Mariva. Um, and so Mariva, I know, is the one that like Thorne, for instance, is sure. a supplement okay. company that uses. Um, and there's various of, of those higher quality, more pharmaceutical grade lines that will use the Long Vita or Mariva. And they use phospholipids as a way to pass the curcuminoids across the intestinal wall. Um, often you're going to need something to emulsify and take these compounds intracellularly. And so they're using phospholipids um, and the phospholipids are actually 80% of the capsule and the curcumin is only about 20% of the capsule. And this is the same thing in the um, BCM95. You might see that Mm -hmm. as a noted parentheses on your label. Um, So these formulas generally are going to have about 96 milligrams of curcuminoids in them per capsule. And these are good. They show higher efficacy compared to turmeric supplements in the marketplace. But when we took our super turmeric, we actually saw uh, 15 times and 38 times more bioavailability than these two brands in randomized crossover studies in humans. So we actually had humans on our super turmeric, had humans on other brands, did a washout period, swapped brands, and still saw the reputable data. Okay. And, and, you know, what that might break down to is like, you have to take less capsules for more efficacy, right? I mean, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah. So our super turmeric has 380 milligrams of curcuminoids per soft gel. So if you're looking at getting that one gram of therapeutic dosage daily, you're taking three a Mm -hmm. day of our super turmeric. Again, if we're comparing the Mariva and Longvita, and there's only you know 30 to 96 milligrams per capsule, you're looking at 10 capsules of those making one of our super turmeric soft gels to begin with. So that's talking somewhere along the lines of 25 to 30 capsules daily to actually get an efficacious dosage, which is why for some people, turmeric could be seen as fool's gold, right, I suppose. Right, you know, I think totally. that that's a really big piece of the puzzle is inadequate dosing and formulas that aren't potent enough. Okay. And I just heard you say three a day would be that one gram therapeutic dose that we're seeing in a lot of the research. Let's talk about maybe the flexibility of, of dosing super turmeric, um, how you use it personally and, and like how many max we could take a day. Cause I get that question a lot. 
Sure. So again, I generally will take about a capsule daily if I've hit my body hard with like an intensive workout um, or maybe even I um, exposed myself to a toxin like a little bit too much wine on the holidays or whatnot Mm -hmm. beyond my detox pack. I'm also going to double down on the super turmeric. So I'll take about one to two a day, but generally one in the evening. I might take one that following morning or midday if I'm just feeling a little off or a little um, swollen, a little inflamed, if you will. And then when I am hitting the end of my menstrual cycle because of my endometriosis, I will actually, once I hit into the middle part of my luteal phase, so like around day 21, 22, 23, I go to two a day no matter what. And then at day 26, I start three a day Mm -hmm. of the super turmeric. And then about day one of my cycle um, and two, those are kind of the more high intense days, um, I'll take about four to five and that always does the trick. And then, you know, again, I had been prescribed prescribed um, pain medicine, not over the counter, actual pain medicine to manage the endo pain, which is quite severe. So I kind of ramp up and that helps to reduce the buildup of the inflammatory chemicals, knowing that that inflammatory response is happening cyclically mm-hmm. in my body. Sure. Um, and, and you could really go up to like six a day um, yeah. is, is typically what we say. So doing like two, three times daily um, can also be taken like right at the onset of pain. So the second you start to get a headache, um, you know, reaching for two of the super turmeric in that moment. Yes. And we will link the study that I mentioned demonstrating that bioavailability. It's called comparative absorption of curcumin formulations. uh, And that was done in 2014. So one of the measured elements of this study showing that bioavailability of super turmeric, not only of course noted the impact of the 380 milligrams per soft gel of curcuminoids versus that 30 to 96 milligrams. But it also looked at super turmeric's ability to produce tetrahydrocurcumin in vivo in the human body. And so we have a blend of curcuminoids in our formula, which have actually demonstrated the increased production in the human body of the tetrahydrocurcumin, and that has not been demonstrated by other brands. Um, This is important because the tetrahydrocurcumin has distinct benefits over any of the other forms of curcuminoids. And so it would be highly superior if you can provoke the body to produce this compound, even though not directly carried. So in our formula, we have our curcuminoids broken down into curcumin, uh, dimethoxycurcumin, and bisdithmoxycurcumin. And then again, we've seen that higher productivity of the efficacious form. Okay. Super cool. So we're always staying on top of this stuff for you guys. So you don't have to even know what all that means. Yes, (laughs) Totally. Totally. So I think we got through all of the things, um, you know, again, when we're looking at efficacy, we're looking at about a gram daily, which would be about three capsules of the super turmeric to see that outcome. And the biggest thing that you want to look at is that our curcuminoids are concentrated at 95%, which is why you get that 380 milligrams per capsule, whereas many formulas, if not stated, are only going to have 5 to 7% curcumin. But I know that when you're looking at a label, you have to look at the price of the bottle, but look at what's in the pill and how many pills you'd have to take of a respective formula to get that similar dose efficacy. And that's kind of always one of our Naturally Nourished line promises to you that not only is it potent and pure, but that it's also always going to be cost as affordable as possible to give you a formula that is functional. 
Um, so something we're super excited about. And um, if you're interested in giving it a try, you can use the code SUPER15 to save 15% off. So we'll go ahead and make that code SUPER15 good for up to four bottles of the Super Turmeric for 15% off because this is one you are going to want to share with family and friends. For example, I've gotten my mother off of her daily relief factor that she was ordering that, you know, is a halfway decent product. Compared but when you, out there, yeah, yeah, when you look at it and, and kind of drill down based on the, um, you know, percentage of, of curcuminoids, we're looking at 18% curcuminoids in that formula of 667 milligrams of turmeric. Um, that means only of that 120 um, are actual curcumin and in so you two capsules. yeah in two capsules so that's like six capsules uh-huh. to get the 380 that's in one capsule yep. of the super turmeric yeah so nobody wants to be taking six capsules of this stuff and still only getting you know minimal or or kind of the lowest you know efficacy and and so um this is one you know i used personally myself to postpartum was a really heavy hit where i was taking probably six to even upwards of like eight per day in in those early days you know post childbirth um and a really good i think essential medicine cabinet formula even if you're not taking it for daily use again for aches pains you know injuries at the gym headaches etc yes it was actually i have a picture of my grandpa who is 94 and um he's wearing the i believe in food is medicine t-shirt and super turmeric is one that like i would i have been purchasing him for over five years for christmas presents he won't let me get him anything but he's like just give me more of that that turmeric stuff yeah, yeah that's uh, so good because he has an appreciable noticeable outcome and again the beauty is that you're actually going to support prevention of cardiometabolic disease versus the -the over-the-counter pain medicines that can cause such havoc and harm in the body. So hopefully that this tool is one that can be supportive and appreciated by all household members and beyond. And um, also hopefully today you uh, had some ways of looking deeper into a label of supplement discernment across the board because there's always going to be that fancy marketing campaign here or there and in the various formulas out there. But at the end of the day, we need to follow the research and the human studies of how compounds impact the human body, not just how they might, but what actually effectively shifts as a biomarker. Do we see enhanced production of antioxidants? Do we see reduced inflammatory markers? Do we see longer quality of life, less plaque formation, then I say it's something that definitely I want in my medicine cabinet. So if you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead on over to iTunes or wherever you listen, leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. And because sharing is caring, definitely share this episode with someone who could use this information. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.